Hello everybody, welcome to episode 50 of the Ask Vijay Show. So today we complete a half century, it's all thanks to you, thank you so very much. I would never have been able to complete 50 episodes or reach 50 episodes if it was not for your viewership and your support. So thank you so much, all of you. And today I am doing an experiment, uh, if you can see the, the chat. I will uh, take some questions uh, through live chat or through video chat. So there's a link for you to join. And the rules are very simple. You need to have a decent internet connection. Your webcam needs to work and you need to have decent audio. And I will take one question per per, uh, per viewer, whoever joins. So I already have a number of people who have joined and I will take them one, one at a time. But let's first take a look at who all is here with us tonight. So let's see who are with us. I can see Ojaswa VS, Kushal Gowda, Rajat Singh, Yash, Yash Akash, Siddhant, Siddharth, Beyond Heights, Hit Lin 69, Raghav Jit, Akshay, Joseph, Rahul, Amrinder Hans, Varad Dongre, A.R. Divesh, Akshat, Shubham, Him Shekhar, Omkar, Great Kafir, Anmol, Baba Shop, Akhan Bharat, Shady Narcotics, Pratishwar, Saturu Gojo, Amruta Dilip, Karan Rana, Bluebird 03, Conqueror YT, Isha Sharma, Himmat, Divij, Apratim, and so many people, Anish Abraham, Neha Rangotra, Rishikesh, Rahul, and too many people for me to name. It's so nice to see you all. Great to see you all. So today we will do a Q&A, of, of course, and I will take some live uh, questions from live chat. So guys, if you want me to put you on live chat, you, your mic needs to work, your uh, video also needs to work. So I will also take uh, live chat questions. So uh, let me let me take one viewer. Hello. Hello sir. Hi. Hello sir. Hi. Hi sir. Hi. What? What's your name? Where are you from? Sir, my name is Banu. I'm from Jammu and Kashmir. Fantastic, fantastic. So, do you have a question for me? Yes, sir. Sir, I wanted to ask, sir, in our text uh, and Vedas, uh, they uh, uh, they mention about sir loks. Sir, are they the planets that people lack to explain? That's an interesting question. So they talk about lokas and all. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if they're planets or not, because as we know, in the ancient days, we did not have space travel. We did not have satellites. We did not have as, um, telescopes and all. So maybe it is uh, various dimensions that perhaps could exist beyond the physical realm. Maybe that is what they were talking about, the different lokas and all. So I think there are seven lokas, right? Seven lokas. There is yes. Patal loka yes. and there are higher lokas as well, etc. So I think these are metaphysical or philosophical realms of existence. It is not exactly physical. I don't think they were talking about different planets because these planets exist in our own plane of existence. It's not in a different dimension, a higher dimension or anything like that. So I think this is not science. This is spirituality or philosophy. And uh, we cannot mix these two because science talks about what we can observe and what we can detect. And spirituality philosophy talks about things that we cannot be, uh, we cannot actually observe or detect. So I think the locus they talk about are non-physical realms of existence, which 
science cannot prove exist or don't exist so i think that would be your answer yes does sir. it make thank sense you, sir. yes sir sir all right all sir, right all right thank you so I much read. oh i i think i have a book recommendation video on my channel so it's i think one of the first videos i made i made so i think you should take a look at that and uh, it i talk about history as well as quantum mechanics and physics and all that so you will get some ideas over there all right thank you sir sir i am very happy thank you so much thank you, thank you so much for for being here yeah thank you thank you bye bye okay i'm going to uh, take some other people uh who do we have here hello hello hi what's your name where are you from hi i'm abiraj i'm from bhopal okay do you have a question for me yeah i wanted to ask uh, what if india launches like missiles uh, armed forces like does an attack on china and pakistan at the same time like tomorrow so what consequences will india face like and what events will happen well there are consequences if there is an action there's going to be a reaction the question is does india have the military capability to take on two such countries at the same time the, see we can certainly deal with pakistan we can but what about china china is a much larger country they have a much larger economy like like multiple times our, our economy they have been investing for the past 30 years plus in their military might so yes we can launch missiles we can uh, you know wipe out a few cities etc but what will we gain by doing that we need to have a long term objective and we need to pursue that objective so if we launch a few missiles we we flatten pakistan and we hit a few chinese cities okay maybe we can deal with pakistan maybe we'll flatten pakistan it's over but what about the chinese and what about the world what will the world say about this you cannot just do this sort of um, launch any unprovoked attacks on countries there need to be uh, justifiable reasons for going to war and all that so the first question is we don't have justifiable reasons as of now uh, for going to war there's no red line that has been crossed secondly if we do that are we able to then later defend ourselves when the chinese also launch missiles so these are the questions we need to consider and that's why it is not advisable to take any such rash action right now until we reach a certain capab level of capability militarily and also the chinese have not crossed any thresholds any red lines so we just can't do that as of as of now right does that make sense yeah that answers the question thank you so much thank you for the question thank, thank you for being here yeah thank you fine thank you all right bye okay who else do we have chandana hello hello sir hello how are you doing what's your name where are you from chandana right i'm chandana i'm from karnataka karnataka oh, okay wonderful so do you have a question for me yes sir i have a question that uh, i have read somewhere that uh, west pakistan oh, sorry pakistan came with a proposal to you to link pakistan with uh, bangladesh and uh, gandhi was uh, appointed for this so that's why nathuram goods has killed him like that i've read it somewhere okay so what's Is your question so uh i okay yeah i think there was a proposal or some kind of request or some kind of desire from pakistan to have some sort of connectivity between east and west pakistan via india 
and uh, yeah. i'm not sure if it was considered seriously or not maybe mr gandhi was mr gandhi was always in favor of whatever pakistan requested so we know that uh, so uh, it could be one of the reasons why mr godse chose to assassinate mr gandhi i think mr godse had uh, had written a full uh, account of why he did what he did why he assassinated why mr he gandhi why mr gandhi okay so uh, okay so uh, i'm going i'm going to have to mute you because yeah okay so so what yeah, i'm saying okay, is so, that, so what uh, i'm saying is that okay i'm going to keep you muted for now so the thing is uh, mr godse did write a full uh, account of the reasons for which he assassinated mr gandhi i am not sure if this was part of that but he definitely had a list of reasons and the main thing was that mr gandhi had betrayed his nation and his people and that's the reason why he did this i think i have not read it in its entirety so i think that there's a it's a it's a complex thing but but uh, mr godse has given a proper account of i mean not a proper account but his version of why he did that so maybe this was part of it i am not really uh, entirely sure about whether this specific thing was part of that or not right chandana so thank right, you for your question thank you for your question thank you sir bye okay let's take some more i have a lot of people here nice to see that okay i'm going to take aryan rishi now i'm going to add aryan hello aryan how are you doing sir i'm fine uh i can't hear you could you speak a little louder Are you hearing Hello. me now? Yes, I'm hearing now? you. Where are you from, Aryan? Sir, I am from JNK, Jammu Kashmir. Fantastic. Nice, nice. You're the second person from there. So, uh, what's your question, Aryan? Sir, my question that is that, uh, sir, what is the future of India in uh, the field of nuclear power and solar power in the next fifty or sixty years? So, I I would say that. Um, Uh, india has a very good future in the field of nuclear power as well as renewable power solar power etc uh, india has had a nuclear power program since the 1950s i believe and india has advanced i mean india has a significant uh, amount of technological advan- advancement when it comes to nuclear power we are also investing in thorium uh, i think there's research which is being done in thorium reactors as well how to generate uh, uh, electricity etc using thorium reactors the thorium cycle so i think uh, india needs to invest more in that because it's clean energy as long as you know how to use it so uh, nuclear power india i think i think has good future and when it comes to solar power india has uh, it's one of the best places where you get a lot of sunlight almost throughout the year except for a few months during the monsoon and places like the thar desert in rajasthan etc get a lot of sunshine even during the monsoon so i think india has a very bright future when it comes to solar power generation so and it is something that we need to invest in clean energy so that we don't uh, thus far i think we we uh, rely a lot on burning coal for electricity so now mr modi has started this uh, i don't know what he calls this abhiyan but there is a significant uh, push for ele- for solar power so i think india has a very good future in this right so does that answer your question sir yeah uh, yes sir sir one more sir thing sir, sir according to you sir uh, in matlab uh, sir ki uh, sir uh, 
in almost how many years india will achieve fusion reactor or oh, right now nobody has succeeded in uh, creating a working fusion reactor fusion is something that people are pursuing one hopes that they will achieve this in the next 5 10 15 years the chinese are trying it they're calling it an artificial sun experiment the americans are doing the europeans the europeans are also doing it i am not sure if india is is currently pursuing fusion as a source of power but uh, so india i as far as i know is not pursuing this as of today but some other countries are doing it and as of today nobody has succeeded in using in in creating a in creating a controlled of fusion reaction on earth so so it's something that's for the future but it's certainly possible all right arin thank you for your questions thank you thank you very much thank you bye okay whom do i call now i'm going to call parama hello thanks i am a big fan of yours thank you so much thank you so much so where, where are you from parama I'm from uh, West Bengal, a place, a small place called Chagda. I'm from West Bengal. So uh, basically, I watch all of your videos, and I always wanted to say you just one thing that I'm a huge fan. But I also have a question for you too. Yeah, please tell me. Yeah. Yeah. The my question is like the original writer of uh, Mahabharata was Vedas, and when he wrote Mahabharata, it was like eight thousand and eight hundred verses. But soon after, it was the first book was known as Jayam or the Victory. after few years it became bharata with 50000 verses and after few years it became mahabharata with 1 lakh verses so my question is what is the original because most people say that there are many stories or many verses which are little bit adulterated or fictional so what's your thought on this sir so the origins of uh, the mahabharat uh, we know that the original author i mean as per our tradition has been uh, uh, vedavyas ji but uh, the entire uh, path that this uh, that, that the literature has taken is kind of shrouded in mystery we kind of have lost the the story of the evolution of this text like you said yes. it was a smaller text just jaya later bharat um, and eventually it became mahabharat and as you know there are lots of different versions of the mahabharat even outside of present day india you have a thai version of the mahabharat you have a balinese yes. version and in indonesia and other places you had other versions as well i think even the cambodians have their version of the mahabharat and there are different hmm. stories in there which are certainly not there in the vedavyas version of the mahabharat so this is something clearly that happened many thousands of years ago and over the years people have added certain things to it people have uh, added their own interpretations yeah. and certain other embellishments and so on so that's how it has evolved over a such a long period of time the yeah. antiquity uh, of the text is evident from the fact that it has evolved so much over time but unfortunately as we know our historians have not looked into this they have not tried to trace the proper lineage of this text and that's why this is something that is going to be a uh, a matter for a great deal of research in the future yeah so that's yeah, what yeah. i can tell unfortunately we don't have a definite answer for that but it's yeah. a fascinating topic of research also so can i ask another question go ahead yeah i just think that two historians have the power to change the complete history and have their own perspective towards the whole community or the society do they have this power anybody who uh, who creates an original work 
a writer, an author, a historian, anybody who creates something has the power to change perceptions, to shape the way the world looks at uh, the way the readers look at the world. And if you are uh, sufficiently influential, then you can certainly shape the worldview of a significant portion of humanity. Now, historians, so the thing is that every individual has a certain perspective and every individual has a certain amount of bias. Everybody, including me, I you know what my bias is. I am very much pro-India. And uh, so, so everybody has biases. We have to recognize this fact. And many people, they are paid to have a certain slant in their history, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we know, as we know. So yes, historians certainly can influence people's minds and they can certainly shape an entire worldview of a nation. Today, as we know, our, our, um, our, I mean, we have all been students. We have gone through the through the entire grind of the education system, and we grew up believing a certain version of history. Now, later, we realize it was not necessarily correct. So yes, they have done that. They have the power, but today, because they no longer have the monopoly on history, that's why the power is waning. So today, the truth is coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so okay, much. Parana. It's such a yeah. nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you so much yeah. for uh, for your question. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, bye. Okay, who else do we have? Okay, I think Amod wants to come. <laughs> I I will I will take everyone. Hi Amod. Hi Amod. Where are you from, sir? Hello, sir. Sir, I am from Maharashtra. Maharashtra. Very nice. Very nice. What's your question, sir? What's your question? Sir, I want to ask uh, the uh, how European languages are connected to Sanskrit. and uh, how they are originated and uh, is there any uh, major ancient language group other than slavic german and uh, latin okay okay good question good question so you know when these uh, europeans first came to india about 500 or so years ago uh, this they they came to india to colonize india and to extract the wealth out of india now this british uh, guy these these people who came to india they they were eyeing india's temples so they they knew that people donated enormous amounts of money and wealth to the temples and that's what they coveted they wanted that and that is the reason why they started learning sanskrit so that they could uh, study temple records and understand how much wealth is there in each temple what are the what are the, what is the kind of wealth that comes in every year and so on so that is the reason why they started learning sanskrit and the, when they started learning sanskrit they realized they could see that there are so many similarities with european languages such as latin such as uh, french english greek and so on there are significant similarities and it is very clear it was very clear to them that sanskrit is a far older language than any language that is currently present in europe and later this entire thing was twisted around and they said that sanskrit came from outside of india and so on that's the aryan invasion myth so that is the linkage between sanskrit and the european languages it is called the indo european language family so slavic is part of that the slavic languages are part of that the scandinavian languages the uh, which are descended from ancient viking languages those are part of it uh, the romance languages such as latin such as uh, french italian etc uh, are part of that and almost all the germanic languages english icelandic german and so on and so forth all of these languages are part of the indo european language family and to the east the indian uh, northern indian languages uh, 
and also uh, many southern indian languages have elements of this and even persian and so on are part of that so it's an enormous language family lots of languages hundreds of languages and dialects and so on so that is the connection i mean uh, you can look it up online there are so many words there are so similar between all of these languages right and sanskrit is the oldest indo-european language that we know of the some historians and uh, researchers try to claim that there are older languages than sanskrit in the indo-european language family but that is all nonsense that is just because of their uh, the consensus that they create politically that they are able to claim such a thing so so yeah so that's the answer does it answer your question yes sir thank you sir thank you so much for your question nice to meet you and i will let you go now thank you so much thank you sir. all right who else do we have okay kartikeya will come now uh hello sir hello 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 well, sir, how are you uh, Uh, I am. I am actually fine. Uh, I will not call myself a fan as much as I look up to you as an idol. Uh, the things here that you're doing for our nation is uh, pretty admirable, and I guess everybody else should follow as well in the footsteps. Thank you. Uh, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. So, so the question I wanted to ask sir, is that uh, I know you. Uh, so, so I am not really. Um, I am not really an economic student, but uh, so I got myself interested into economics and I started to learn a little bit about capitalization, capitalism and privatization. So, okay. sir, uh, I really like the American model. I want to, I want India to incorporate some of the aspects of it, if not all. But, sir, uh, f- so considering America's impact on the world, sir, uh, so America's M1 money stock in dollars has been ris- has been rising up a very very high amount uh, in the last uh, year. because uh, and and due to that there's a very very big risk of hyperinflation happening in the world and considering the usd standard of the world which is deviating from the gold standard of the world right so so would india be very very negatively affected considering that us is one of the major trade partners of india and apart from that china is still on india's head so how should india cope with that so it is always a risk when you have a certain currency that is underpinning the entire global economy as the us dollar is doing right now now the now originally the us dollar was pegged to the gold rate so it was a gold backed currency i think it was richard nixon i believe or someone like around that time who uh, yes who delinked uh, the us currency from the the gold standard so it became a fiat currency and today the americans are just printing dollars and that obviously if you know even the basics of economics you know that that's what causes inflation and yes. today uh, the chinese are trying to push their currency in certain places as the standard and all so there is this tussle going on this kind of tug of war and the us economy is not uh, quite on very good ground the american debt to gdp ratio is ridiculous they have accumulated enormous amounts of debt especially since the obama regime so yes it is a problem it is something that could cause a significant financial crisis in the future because uh, that amount of debt to gdp uh, ratio is unsustainable actually i don't know how they're going to rectify that and because their currency is the currency that underpins the entire world's economy so that means that if their economy crashes it's going to it's going to trigger a chain reaction across the world so i think that one of the ways you can uh, insulate yourself to some extent 
is to uh, buy reserves of other currencies and the other thing is you can uh, you can uh, hoard or stock a significant amount of gold thousands of tons of gold india is the country that has the most gold reserves i think in the population not the government the indian population is the uh, largest consumer of gold globally i think so there are certain things the indian economy can do to the indian government can do to uh, insulate india from such a shock which could happen right so so could i add on to my question a little bit yeah please go yeah yes sir so uh, so if you know robert kiyosaki the writer of rich dad poor dad yes sir so he actually predicted that in this month only the the, the hyper the, the, the american economy is going to have a very big crash even larger than the 2008 financial crash crisis as well so sir even even they are predicting that bitcoin will come down and stuff like that so we can even not put our faith in cryptocurrency as of right now and it's very very late to actually and and i am not a very suitable uh, you know financial advisor for my parents as well so <laughs> i guess uh, so sir uh, and so what can the indian government do in in, in such a sense right so you have to uh, see there how the indian economy will protect itself so that everybody does not fall into like oblivion and the world does not come to an end i guess so i think the indian government is trying to uh... kind of ban cryptocurrencies right we have the the rbi has prohibited people from uh, from purchasing or having cryptocurrency and so on and i think india has very uh, very significant reserves of foreign currency the euro and uh, dollars as well etc so that could to some extent uh, that could to some to some extent insulate india from a shock like that and also india has gold reserves significant gold reserves so i think that's what the indian government has do- is doing has done of course i am not an economist that is one thing that i don't really know very very deeply so i could not answer this in further detail in great depth but uh, i think the indian government is doing what we can i think we have one of the highest reserves of foreign currencies in any economy in the world so i think we are doing what we can maybe in the future we can do something more than that we can we'll have to see about that well uh, thank you so that was it was really nice meeting you uh, i guess everybody else for following of us as well nice Thanks meeting you as well thank you so much thank you bye 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 all right all right who next who next who next let us call shubham shubham has been waiting patiently hi shubham hi uh, nice to meet you nice to meet you as well where are you from uh, i live in youngstown ohio but i'm from nepal fantastic oh you're a nepalese brother of ours how, how nice to meet you yeah. please tell me what's your question uh sir can you explain a little about bose and fermi particles okay so there are two kinds of statistics in physics bose einstein statistics and fermi dirac statistics in bose statistics all the particles can occupy the same quantum state in fermi dirac statistics um, you have a different kind of uh, behavior of the particles so the bosons are the particles that do not need that don't jostle for space they all can uh, can occupy the same quantum state and that's why uh, their properties are different very different from the fermions so bosons uh, so the particles that obey the bose statistics or bose einstein statistics statistics are called bosons these are the force carriers these are the uh, mediator particles such as the gluons and the photons uh, etc so these are the force carriers the gluons carry the uh, are the are the mediators the force carriers of the strong nuclear force 
the photon is obviously the force carrier of the electromagnetic force and the hypothetical graviton is the force carrier of the gravitational force now when it comes to fermions they that's a very different kind of particle uh, species so to say yeah so the the particles that that constitute matter these are the fermions so these are the ones that for obey the fermi dirac statistics and the pauli exclusion principles so that is a little bit in 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 short about bosons fermions and those two those two kinds of statistics sir one more question please go ahead yeah so why don't we study proof based mathematics why are we more into problem solving in our school and high school uh, that's a good question so if you are into pure mathematics then you would go into proof based mathematics uh, very very uh, uh, conceptual fundamental mathematics but when you are learning mathematics at the school level you need to first start with the building blocks which are the uh, numbers ones and twos and threes so you need to add them subtract them divide them multiply them so that's how you build up your intuition for mathematics and only after you uh, master arithmetic addition subtraction all that and maybe some algebra trigonometry geometry and so on that's when after a few years after a certain number of years you have the requisite amount of mathematical intuition to dive to dive deeper into mathematics and that's where you go into fundamental proof based mathematics which is quite abstract actually if a lay person were to see it it, it will not even look like mathematics it looks like greek and all that you know so so it's something that's very deep and abstract it takes time to reach that level of uh, of thought and ab abstraction so that's why uh, at the at the school level etc you just learn arithmetic in the basics that's why it, it's thank you way. thank you nice to meet nice to meet you nice to meet you thank you so much bye okay shorya gupta hello hey yo sir sadai chayan spaish <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Where are you from, sir? <laughs> sir, I am. Uh, I am from Jamshedpur, Jharkhand. Very nice uh, to meet you. Very nice to meet you. What's yes, your question? Sir. So, sir, my question is that is there any scientific theory that aligns with our Vedic Yuga system, like Satyuga Yuga? Like, is there any scientific theory that aligns with it? So, unfortunately, uh, there is no scientific theory that I know of that is. Uh, Uh, that is commensurate what the, with uh, what we call the yuga system etc we don't even know how long a yuga is supposed to be there are multiple researchers who have made multiple claims some people believe that one yuga is like 100 million years or god knows what people have all kinds of beliefs it 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 does not match with what we know of reality because we know that the human species homo sapiens is approximately 2 million years old and if a yuga is 70 million years old or whatever the some people claim it is then how do you i mean it doesn't make sense right because uh, homo sapiens not even homo sapiens i think homo sapiens is just a quarter of a million years old so so there is this significant mismatch right so there is nothing in modern science that that uh, bears out the yuga system i am not by any means saying that the yuga system is wrong or something what i am saying is that present day researchers have not been able to figure out what the yuga system actually exactly is maybe some of them have figured it out but there's a lot of controversy there's a lot of conflict some people say it's this much time one yuga some people say it's not something else so as of now there is no consensus and there is uh, there is not 
enough that we know about to to conclusively say what are you guys like you know okay sir right any other question yes sir in once you said in your stream that if indian army wants then it can conquer kabul in one day like once you said this but then why weren't asia and usa successful in their attempts uh shia who's shia no yashia yashia you yashia see it's like this the russians uh were overextended when they when it came to afghanistan uh, the 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 heartland of russia is many thousands of kilometers away from afghanistan even the central asian But republics that were, were all united nah that ussr united that. then yes the central asian republics were at that time part of the ussr but the heartland of the ussr was in the west near moscow and uh, and the territory is so large that it is very difficult to sustain a large contingent of soldiers or a proper army and and uh, provide them all the supplies such as uh, uh, such as weaponry and ammunition and uh, food and all that so you know an army doesn't succeed because it has a great deal of josh and all that an army succeeds only when there is the sufficient amount of logistics and all that and that's why they were overextended and also because they were not familiar with the terrain in afghanistan and also because the americans were arming the afghan mujahideen with a great they were pushing in a great amount of arms and ammunition money etc so that's the reason why why pakistan so that is the reason why russia could not succeed uh the americans also have kind of failed and they have left afghanistan but it was done on purpose the americans could have wiped out the taliban in in a, in a month's time if they wanted to they chose not to they knew that the taliban were given shelter in pakistan in the uh, tribal areas etc and so on we know what the pakistanis were doing they were sheltering osama as well and the americans allowed this to happen they killed osama but the taliban was able to was allowed to survive in pakistan and gradually it it made its way back into afghanistan so it was all done most likely deliberately now when it comes to india we have the armed forces and the, we have the strength of the armed forces it's sufficient to wipe out the taliban in in a few days in a couple of weeks maybe a month or two at most you yeah? so i hope that answers your question okay sir sir so one thing i do you have any idea like in which language did people normally converse in the ramayana and mahabharata yeah sanskrit that's Me it means talking also yes absolutely originally india's common language was sanskrit and when did it, it start the language like in the chandragupta maurya say which language then uh at that time it was a variety of prakrit languages which are upper branch languages and the language i think which was prevalent in the magadha region was uh, pali i believe so these are languages that came much later the original language of india was vedic or pre vedic sanskrit then it became vedic sanskrit eventually it became classical sanskrit during the paninian era and later you had a variety of uh, other languages that emerged and i am sure there were other languages also during the sanskrit era as well when did hindi came being prevalent much 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 later like it's a very recent language 
Uh, Maybe like, in the past 500 or 1000 like years. We are most. taught in our school books that Sanskrit was only imitated to the Brahman caste. <laughs> that is absolute utter nonsense. All right. Okay. Okay, sir. Thank you, sir. Great meeting. And my friends would be much joyous. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, Sorry. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, sir. All right. Who else will come next? Who do we have? Okay. Yug. Let's bring in Yug. Hey, Yug, how are you doing? Hello, sir. Nice to meet you. And I am seeing nice that many young you. people are joining your podcast. That's great. It's so, awesome. I uh, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yes, sir. Actually, I had a question that, uh, you know, Jain Munis, they always give lots of, uh, you know, uh, pravachan. In that, I had to, one time I listened it and they said that there was genocide of Jain people in Tamil Nadu by Shaivits. You say Hinduism very, uh, you know, uh, liberal religion. But on the other hand, it's ironical that Shaivit genocide of Jain people. So I have never heard of any such, uh, I have never seen evidence of such a thing. I have never heard a claim like that, that the Jainas were genocided by the Shaivites. I would like to sir, see who I has made actually searched, uh, Actually, I had searched in my, uh, you know, internet so i got it in wikipedia and that stuff so and also i so, want to ask so sir, ahead, sir, you, you can speak so my question is how many people were killed when did this happen according to this claim means they actually i don't know means i had saw in youtube so i don't know but it was said that after 250 bc and it was written in something in Tamil literature, they had said that. And it was written by Tamil literature. They say that. Well, I am not aware of any genocide that happened in uh, pre-invasion, pre-Turkic invasion India. Maybe, see, people have gone to war. Kingdoms have fought each other. There has been violence, which is a b- inherent part of the, the human nature. But there has never been any large-scale religious persecution of anybody in the country. There is no evidence to support that. If one or two texts have been invented to do that, I mean, come on, where is the supporting evidence? And so there is, as far as I understand from whatever I have read and learned, I have never come across any evidence of any genocide. You know what's the meaning of genocide? It's like lacks of people dying. If, If there is a war, a battle and 200 die, you cannot call it a genocide. Come on, it's one event. So, so my point to you is that, you know, uh, I have never come across any such claim or any such evidence. But I will certainly, since you are telling me right now, I will try and look it up and I'll try to search for any persecution of Jains in Tamil Nadu, you think, right? Tamil Nadu? Yes, in Madras, near that hill was there. Yes, sir. Also, one more last question I want to say. And also, he also said that the Shirdi Sai Baba was actually, and I'm from Afghanistan, a Pindari, and he came to propagate Islam and to convert people. He no, I have absolutely no. I have so so. My answer to you is that I have never studied uh, the. I mean, I have never been interested in, in this uh, person, Mr. Sai Baba. So I don't know anything about him, unfortunately. So unfortunately, I cannot answer this particular question. Sorry. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, sir. All right. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much for your questions. Thank Bye. You, Bye. Okay. Who next? Who is next? Let's bring Abhinav. Hi, Abhinav. How are you doing? Thank you very much for giving me this uh, opportunity. 
to be here. I want to ask, uh, sure. like, how did life came from non-living substance? How did replicating system form from non-replicating system? That uh, this scientist called abiogenesis. I want to learn on that. So we don't quite know how this happened. We know that at some point in our very ancient history, in the primordial early Earth, life emerged out of something. We know that the uh, we had this these interesting mixes of chemicals on our planet. We had uh, so we had very different conditions at that time. The Earth was almost a hellish place. It was very hot. And the atmosphere was very different. It was full of other gases, maybe mostly carbon dioxide. There was almost no oxygen at the time. And there was a lot of lightning. There was a lot of bombardment by meteors and all that, meteorites and so on. The Hadean period, they call it. So uh, what people have done, what biochemists have done, is that they've tried to replicate those conditions in a test tube in a laboratory. Uh, with those mixes of gases and lightning kind of thing and all that, with the electrical sparks and all that. So they found that it does give rise to a complex chemistry, amino acids and all that, complex carbon compounds. But they have never been able to actually create a living cell or living organism out of it. So it is still a very big mystery how life emerged on Earth. Where did the DNA come from? DNA is a very complex molecule, you know. So where where did it come from? Where did RNA come from? Where did the and so on so so forth? So it is still not known. No scientist has been able to definitively, conclusively explain how did life emerged uh, emerge out of non-living substances. There is even a theory called panspermia, which says that life came from outer space. It it hitched a ride on some meteor or comet, and it crashed into the uh, onto our planet, and that's how the our planet was seeded. With the uh, with the beginnings of life, maybe DNA came from outside, or or maybe some organisms were were present on some of these uh, asteroids or or comets that impacted the Earth. So there's a number of hypotheses, but none of these has been proven thus far. So that's what I can answer you. That, that to the best of our knowledge, we still don't know how life emerged out of non-living substances. Sir, also on biohacks like cloning and baby designing, do you think it is happening in the shadows and we don't know about it? It is certainly something that people must be researching. We know the Chinese have been doing a significant amount of research in cloning and uh, gene drives and all that, virology, viruses, and, uh, and so on. They have cloned monkeys, they have cloned other animals. Maybe they may even be doing it with human beings. We don't know. And other countries may also be doing it, but ov- obviously they will not talk about it because this is very, uh, first of all, it's cutting edge research. It, it can lead to very significant advances, not only in biology, but in bio, as in the case of bioweapons as well. And secondly, may, maybe many of these experiments may not be very much ethical. So nobody will talk about it, but I am sure many countries are doing it. I'm sure the Chinese are definitely doing it. I'm sure the Americans too, even if they don't speak about it, must be doing it and other countries possibly as well. Right? So my last question is that you are a uh, professional astrophysicist and a quantum physicist. So can you give a roadmap for people like me who are inspired from me and want to pursue that as a career? Well, that's a, that's a very long career path. You have to undergo a progression of studies you have to first become strong in mathematics you need to have the fundamentals the basics of physics right 
the very basics from the highly rustic rustic kind of books then you have to study electrodynamics and uh, uh, advanced me- mechanics then move on to quantum mechanics quantum electrodynamics and so on it's a very long path i have a video on this channel in which i have given a number of book recommendations for learning advanced physics so maybe you can refer to that but it's a, it, i mean to answer that in detail would take at least half an hour you know so you, you could refer to that video the book recommendations video right thank you sir thank you very much for providing this interaction interaction with us and um, nice meeting you nice meeting you thank you so much bye yes sir very much okay who next whom shall i call uh gautam has been waiting very patiently hi gautam hello sir nice I to meet to you i want to ask you a question ah nice to meet you sir i want to ask you a question about origin of andras the origin andra of? people andra people that, so uh, i am yeah please go ahead please finish your question yeah it said that telugu came from andra people andra tribe so i want to ask you how that origin of andhra people andhra so, tribe uh, i i okay yeah i get your question right what is the origin of the people of andhra pradesh the people of andhra right yeah. so uh that is something i haven't studied in much detail unfortunately uh, we know that during the ancient times there was a mention of a clan or a tribe or a community of people called the andras now uh, mm-hmm. that has been that name has been given to this state called andhra pradesh today which is now andhra pradesh and telangana but what is the origin i mean we know that all the people of india all, if we go back sufficiently uh, back in time then we all have a common origin but what is the actual origin of let's say the andhra linguistic group the, the telugu speaking people for instance that is something that is that i think no historian or linguist has still uh, been able to answer so that is something that should be a topic of of active research among historians and linguists but it is not it is not so nobody will be able to give you a definitive answer neither historians nor linguists as to what is the origin of this language telugu and of this linguistic group the people who are now part of the state of andhra pradesh so it is something that needs to be researched there are there are so many such topics what is the origin of the kannada people that also nobody is going to be able to answer the tamils have their own origin stories about kumari kandam and all but that also again has not been proven we have never found that lost continent that, we, that they speak about and so on so the best answer i can give you is that we indians are the original inhabitants of the indian subcontinent our ancestors populated the first came into the indian subcontinent about 70000 or so years ago the out of africa migration and we are the descendants of that very ancient population so that is what we know but the uh, genesis the origin of these specific linguistic groups and all that is something that has not been researched unfortunately so i am sorry i am not able to answer that question in in uh, well conclusively definitively so my last question is you said that uh, there was philosoph- indian philosophies of jaina dharma buddha dharma and charvaka so what are we following now all hindus we are following secularism sir <laughs> we don't even know what hinduism is what dharma is we don't follow any traditions we don't follow any rituals uh, i don't know what we are following anymore india today is officially a secular country it is a very hindu phobic country hindus are almost like second class citizens so we are not following any of those philosophies uh, the jaina people will follow some of their traditions which is part of dharma 
the both the people will follow some of the both the traditions i think in countries like thailand etc thailand and parts of cambodia parts of indonesia there is more respect for indian traditions and culture than we have in india itself so today india is a confused country we have lost our connection with our roots and that is all thanks to this fake philosophy or ideology of secularism that has been forcibly imposed upon the indian population so i hope that eventually these things change ah thank you sir thank you for your question nice meeting you thank you bye thank you sir right naman let's bring in naman hi naman namaste sir namaste namaste where are you from so i am from rajasthan rajasthan all right what's your question yes. sir सर मेरा क्वेश्चन है कि इसमें मंदिर में पहले आपने कही थी एक इंटरव्यू में कि पढ़ाया जाता था मंदिर में लाइब्रेरी होती थी और सर अभी पाया गया कि राजस्थान में एक मंदिर जहाँ पर नौ लाख किताबें पाई गई पुरानी और जहाँ पे चार हजार लोगों की बैठने की कैपेसिटी है और सर हमारी अलग अलग लैंग्वेजेस है हमारे कल्चर है ट्रेडिशन है कपड़े जो हम पहनते हैं सर अभी हम हिंदी में पांच मिनट बात नहीं कर सकते बिना इंग्लिश बोले इंग्लिश वर्ड्स को यूज करें तो सर ये चेंज कहाँ से आया सर पहले एल कम्युनिटी इंडिया में फ्री थी फिर ब्रिटिशर्स ने बैंड कर दी और सर जेंडर और रेस में सर डिस्क्रिमिनेशन बढ़ गया सर हमें कृष्ण भगवान को सर वाइट दिखाया जाता है जबकि वो ब्लैक है तो सर ये सब चेंजेस कहाँ से आया गुड क्वेश्चन तो मैं आपका आपके प्रश्न का जवाब उत्तर हिंदी में ही दूंगा तो ये सब ये सब मेंटल कॉलोनाइजेशन है ये सब शुरू कब हुआ ये एक्चुअली एक लंबा प्रोसेस है जो अप्रोक्सीमेटली एक हजार वर्ष से चल रहा है जब ये टर्किक इन्वेजन शुरू हुआ तब से हमारा कल्चर धीरे 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 रिस्ट्रिक्ट होने लगा चेंज होने लगा क्योंकि हमें बहुत डिफेंसिव हो जाना पड़ा एंड सो ऑन लेकिन ये जो आप बात कर रहे हैं कि ये जो वाइट स्किन का जो ये है कृष्णा जो जो डार्क स्किन के है उनको व्हाइट स्किन का दिखाया जाता है एल लोगों के ऊपर बहुत सारे अत्याचार हुए After, and so on. इसका ओरिजिन है यूरोपियन कॉलोनाइजेशन ऑफ इंडिया इन्होंने जब अपने रूल्स अपने नियम भारत के ऊपर इम्पोज किए तो ये बहुत मिसोजनिस्टिक कम्युनिटी है यूरोपियंस यूरोप बहुत ही मिसोजनिस्टिक कल्चर रहा है पिछले हजार वर्ष से ज्यादा से और उन्होंने अपने जो उनके जो रूल्स है वो हमारे ऊपर इम्पोज किए उन्होंने अपना फॉरेन एजुकेशन सिस्टम मकाउलैन एजुकेशन सिस्टम भारत के ऊपर इम्पोज किया इसकी वजह से हम आज इंग्लिश इतना बोलते हैं और आज ऐसा है कि हमारे देश में अगर हम अच्छा इंग्लिश नहीं बोलेंगे तो हमें जॉब भी नहीं मिलेगा सारे जॉब इंटरव्यूज इंग्लिश में होते हैं आप अगर कोर्ट जाएंगे तो आपके जो मिलोर्ड सब जो मिलोर्ड्स है वो आपसे इंग्लिश में ही बात करेंगे अगर आप इंग्लिश नहीं बोलेंगे तो आपको भगा देंगे वो लोग इसको बोलते हैं मेंटल कॉलोनाइजेशन तो इसका जो रूट है वो इंग्लिश जो ये जो ब्रिटिश कॉलोनाइजेशन है ये इन सब चीजों का रूट है और ये जो कल्चरल चेंज हुआ ये पिछले डेढ़ सौ वर्षों अबाउट आई थिंक एटीन सेंचुरी के फर्स्ट क्वार्टर में शुरू हुआ था तो इन्होंने अपना सिस्टम इम्पोज किया भारत के ऊपर इन्होंने सारे टेम्पल्स में जो एजुकेशन होता था जैसे आप बता रहे थे ये सब बंद कर दिया उन्होंने और उन्होंने कहा कि आपको अगर गवर्नमेंट जॉब चाहिए तो आपको इंग्लिश ब्रिटिश एजुकेशन सिस्टम के थ्रू ही आना पड़ेगा और आपको ब्रिटिश आई मीन आपको नहीं हो सकता है बिल्कुल हो सकता है अभी देखिए आप इसराइल की बात करते हैं तो इसराइल के जो लोग है वो अलग अलग देशों में बहुत सदियों से रह रहे थे 
कुछ लोग जर्मन बोलते थे कुछ लोग कहीं और की भाषा बोलते थे अब ये जो उनका वापस अपना जो राष्ट्र मिला इसराइल ये सब वापस वहां पर आए बहुत सदियों के बाद तो सब अलग अलग भाषा बोलते थे तो उन्होंने क्या किया कि उन्होंने उनकी जो पुरानी भाषा थी हिब्रू उसको रिवाइव किया और ये दस बीस वर्ष में पूरी रिवाइव हो गई भाषा तो हम भी ऐसा कर सकते हैं अगर गवर्नमेंट में इतना जो विल है अगर गवर्नमेंट चाहे तो ऐसा हो सकता है भारत में दस बीस वर्ष में मे बी पचास वर्ष में लेकिन डेफिनेटली हम अपनी भाषा संस्कृत या हिंदी आप जो भी आप चाहे हम उसको रिवाइव कर सकते हैं मेन चीज है कि इंग्लिश को हटाओ और रीजनल लैंग्वेजेस लोकल लैंग्वेजेस को वापस प्रोत्साहन दीजिए सो इट कैन नॉट कम बैक वी विल रिस्टोर आवर सेल्फ रिस्पेक्ट एंड डिग्निटी अगर हम ये करेंगे तो सर कुछ क्वेश्चन और था सर बोलिए सर 2014 से सर जो हो रहा है देश में सर डीमोनेटाइजेशन आया सीएए जीएसटी किसान आंदोलन तो सर क्या सही है क्या हो रहा है सर ये सही है गलत है सर कोई चैनल कुछ कहता है कि अपोजिट में जाता है कि ये गलत हो रहा है आंदोलन हो रहा है वो हो रहा है सरकार कुछ कर नहीं रही कोई चैनल कहता है कि सर ये बहुत सही है ये बिल बहुत अच्छे है डिमोनिटाइजेशन से फायदा हुआ है तो सर ये सही है या गलत है सर कुछ ब्रीफ में बताओ सर मेरे आ, मेरे अनुमान से अगर हम 1947 के बाद जितनी भी गवर्नमेंट्स हुई है उसको देखेंगे तो मेरे एनालिसिस में ये सबसे अच्छी गवर्नमेंट रही है और ये बहुत सारी चीजें चेंज कर रहे हैं इसके लिए इतना सारा पुशबैक उनको फेस करना पड़ रहा है अभी, बट अभी भारत रेडी नहीं है तो सर सही कैसे हो सकता है क्या रेडी नहीं बताइए जो लोअर जो क्लास पीपल थे उनको नुकसान हुआ सर बहुत और काफी चीजों से नुकसान हुआ है सर जैसे सर सर अब बहुत कुछ है सर बोलना नहीं चाहूंगा सर काफी चीजें हुई है सर 2014 से ठीक है ठीक है सो लेट्स टेक द क्वेश्चन तो आप ए, एक एक मुद्दा लेते हैं फॉर इंस्टेंस आप किसानों की बात कर रहे हैं तो ये ये इस मुद्दे को लेकर हम थोड़ा डिस्कस करेंगे तो हमें इस चीज को एनालाइज कैसे करना है कि ये सही है या गलत है राइट अभी हम एक एक अप्रोच हमारा ये हो सकता है कि हम अलग अलग यूट्यूबर्स का ओपिनियन देखें अलग अलग न्यूज मीडिया का ओपिनियन देखें और दूसरा अप्रोच है कि क्या लॉ चेंज हुआ है उसको हम एनालाइज करें तो क्या होता था पहले कि किसानों को अगर कुछ भी सेल करना हो कुछ भी बेचना हो तो उनको ये गवर्नमेंट की मंडियों में बेचना पड़ता था और वहां के वहां पर क्या होता था कि ये जो गवर्नमेंट के ऑफिसर्स है वो डिसाइड करते थे कि आप किस प्राइस में बेचोगे तो yes. आप अगर किसान है तो आप डिसाइड नहीं कर सकते कि मैं ये मेरा जो ये एक किलो जो जो भी है फॉर इंस्टेंस प्याज है उसको मैं किस दाम में बेचूंगा मैं डिसाइड नहीं कर सकता गवर्नमेंट का ऑफिसर मुझे बोलेगा कि मुझे किस दाम पे वो बेचना है yes. अभी ये जो गवर्नमेंट ने जो चेंज किया है उस उसमें क्या हो गया कि जो मिडल है ये जो सब्जी मंडी एंड गवर्नमेंट ऑफिसर्स उनको हटा दिया और अब किसान कहीं पर भी अपना सामान बेच सकते हैं किसी, किसी भी रेट पर तो ये किसान के लिए अच्छा है या बुरा है मुझे आप समझाइए आप खुद समझाइए अभी किसान, किसान तो को और कहते हैं कि हमें स्टार्टिंग में बहुत फायदा होगा इससे 
पर आगे जाके सर ये जितना कंपनी कहेगी सर उसी हिसाब से करना पड़ेगा सर उनको ये लगता है और सर ये मतलब सर ठीक है सर सही हो या गलत मेरे को इतना नॉलेज नहीं है सर बट सर अब किसान नहीं चाहते ये रूल और सर उनपे गलत तरीके से सर उनको रोका जा रहा है सर क्या ये सही है या गलत है सर और सर बिल जैसे पास हुआ है सर वो तो डेफिनेटली गलत है सर बिल जैसे सर पास करा था कैसा किया कैसा किया सर उन्होंने सर मेजोरिटी में बिना डिस्कशन करे ऑपोजिशन पार्टी से बिल पास किया था मेजोरिटी आपके पास नंबर से तो डिस्कशन हो या नहीं हो बिल पास ही होने वाला है तो सर ऐसे तो बीजेपी भी बिल लाएगी तो सर वो तो पास ही हो जाएगा सर वो तो मेजोरिटी में है सर सर डिस्कशन तो होना चाहिए ना इसी को कहते हैं डेमोक्रेसी नंबर इट्स नंबर गेम वेरी सिंपल डिस्कशन आप करो डिस्कशन डिस्कशन करेगी तो सर 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 रुकेगा सर। पर ये विदाउट उन्होंने करवा ली बिल के लिए देखिए भारत की जनता ने अगर एक पार्टी को नंबर्स दिए हैं ना तो वो जो पार्टी चाहती है वो भारत की जनता का विल है ऑपोजिशन के पचास लोग ये तीन सौ लोग के विरुद्ध खड़े हो जाएंगे तो दे के नॉट बी अलाउड टू स्टॉप द पासिंग ऑफ द बिल ये एक बात है अब दूसरी बात आप बोल रहे कि अगर ये जो जो किसान है वो नहीं चाहते अरे भाई कौन से किसान नहीं चाहते कौन से किसान देखिये बात क्या है ना कि जो मीडिया के सामने जो किसान लीडर आते हैं वो एक्चुअली असली किसान है या बहुत रिच लोग है ये बहुत सारे इसमें ये पूरा मेरे हिसाब से मेरे हिसाब से मैं मेरा परसपेक्टिव आपको बोल रहा हूँ वी कैन डिसग्री नो प्रॉब्लम दैट इज फाइन मेरा परसपेक्टिव ये है कि मीडिया एक इंप्रेशन खड़ा करती है और फिर सारे किसान जो है उनको लगता है कि हाँ ये सही बात है और फिर सब सपोर्ट करने लगते हैं ऐसा भी होता है ऐसा ही ऐसा बहुत सालों से चलता आ रहा है सो वी हैव टू एनालाइज कि भाई एक्चुअल मुद्दा क्या है एक्चुअल बिल क्या पास हुआ है और आप बिल को पढ़िए और आप खुद से सोचिए कि इससे किसान का फायदा है या नुकसान है अगर किसान को एक्स्ट्रा अपॉर्चुनिटीज मिल रही तो उसमें नुकसान कहां से आ गया भैया पहले आपके पास एक ही ऑप्शन था आप गवर्नमेंट के पास बेचो और गवर्नमेंट के ऑफिसर आपको बोलेंगे किस प्राइस के प्राइस पे भेजना है आज आपके पास अलग 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 ऑप्शन है तो हाउ इज इट अ बैड थिंग मुझे समझता नहीं सो दैट इज माई पर सर ये कंट्री कैसे फॉर्म होती है सर डिवाइड कैसे होती है सर एक कल्चर पे होती है रिलीजन पे होती है या एक सिविलेशन से होती है और सर इंडिया कैसे डिवाइड हुआ सर वर्ल्ड से इंडिया ओरिजिनली एक सिविलाइजेशन था आज सिर्फ yes, एक नेशन स्टेट है वेस्टफालियन नेशन स्टेट जो इट इट ऑल कुछ कुछ सौ साल पहले तीन सौ चार सौ साल पहले हुआ था तो आज ये पूरा वेस्टर्न यूरोपियन सिस्टम है जो पूरे दुनिया पे इम्पोज हो गया है कि आप एक जोग्राफिकल रीजन बनाएंगे उसके अंदर आप आप उसको गवर्नेंस करेंगे और इसमें कल्चर को देखते नहीं है कुछ देखते नहीं है सो इट इज अ वेरी आर्टिफिशियल काइंड ऑफ थिंग जो एक्चुअली नेचुरल नहीं है ये नेचुरल चीज नहीं है भारत का एक्चुअल जो जोग्राफिकल एरिया है वो बहुत बड़ा है आज हम छोटे से एरिया में बैठे हुए हैं तो इट इज अट इज अर्टिफिशियली क्रिएटेड थिंग और कुछ नहीं थैंक यू सर ठीक है नमन थैंक यू सो मच थैंक यू नाइट टॉकिंग टू यू बाय थैंक यू बाय चलिए हुज नेक्स्ट हु इज नेक्स्ट लेट मी कॉल इन सुशांत हाय सुशांत गुड इवनिंग सर आई हैव एक्चुअली टू क्वेश्चंस 
posted it on live chat as well, but uh, I think you didn't notice it. So my question to you is that uh, yeah. in first Anglo Maratha war, Marathas won. Uh, so why didn't they uh, completely destroy the British Empire at that time? I mean, uh, at the end of Third Anglo Maratha war, British completely destroyed the Maratha kingdom, right? So why didn't Marathas do the same in First Anglo Maratha war? So now if I give you the proper answer, then don't hate me for being anti-Maratha. I am not anti-Maratha, okay? I mean, lots of I, people uh... <laughs> can keep telling me that you are anti-Maratha, you, you don't uh, recognize the Marathas enough and all. Bhai, please don't do that. I am just telling you the facts. I know. I, I, I had <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, some... Bhai, you ignored that I, I am telling the so... future audience who will watch this later, you know. Please, just, okay, just okay. listen. Just hear me out. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So now the thing is this, see, the Marathas did win and they did not eliminate the enemy completely. That is a problem you see again and again and again in the past 1000 years of India's history. We have this unfortunate tendency of trying to show magnanimity to those who wish to destroy us. That is a pattern of behavior we see again and again. We have forgotten the principles of our great teacher, Vishnu Gupta Chanakya. Vishnu Gupta Chanakya said, when the enemy is down, you have to finish that enemy off. Because we know that the enemy wishes to see us dead. So how can we let that person go? This, this is what Maharani Nayaki Devi ji did. She allowed that, uh, that terrorist Gori to go away. Uh, this is what Prithviraj Chauhan did. This is what so many did. Even the Marathas did. They allowed the British to stay alive, to, to survive. The Marathas even allowed the Mughals, the the at least a token uh, measure of survival, you know, because even after the Marathas had take, had conquered the entire country, the Mughal emperor, at least in name, was still installed in Delhi. So this is something, a pattern that we see. I don't, I don't know why it is there, because our culture has produced people like Vishnu Gupta Chanakya who have given us the right lessons, but we have forgotten their teachings. So that is the reason why, because we have forgotten the teachings of our great teachers like Vishnu Gopachanaki. That's why we have allowed our enemies to survive and, and eventually thrive. Right? So so my next question to you is uh, if, if it's allowed. Please go ahead. Please go. So, yeah. so uh, uh, I checked on Wikipedia a few days ago about calculus uh, and the history of calculus. So uh, according to Wikipedia, only one of those uh, basic calculus laws is uh, is originally from India. And uh, rest of them are like not not from India. They are from uh, some Arabic or some non-Indian uh, philosophers have developed these uh, laws and all. So, what is the uh, truth? Is is it just one law, or the original uh, calculus was itself the idea of Indians? The truth is that calculus was developed in India. Uh, it is a long line. Uh, it's not something that happened in one day or one week or one year. It happened over a very long period of time. There is a long cycle of development that leads up to the eventual discovery of calculus. So I think it was the Kerala School of Mathematics that dis that was the discoverer of calculus. Um, I forgot the name of the mathematician. Was it Nilakantha or was it... Uh, I, I don't have it at the top of my head, but it was in Kerala that calculus was developed at least minimum 100 years before 
Newton and Leibniz are supposed to have discovered calculus. And it is very strange that Newton and Leibniz, both of these individuals, one who was living in England, the other one who was living in, uh, I think, Germany, I think, it is very strange that these two individuals discovered calculus independently of each other in the same year. How can that happen? What really happened was that you had these Jesuit priests who had come to India and they sought Indian knowledge. They stole India's knowledge of mathematics, etc., astronomy and many other things. They took it back to Europe. They translated the Sanskrit texts into their languages. And that's how... And there is actual evidence for these things. There is evidence for this. But it is not publicized. They will never publicize this. So it is these Jesuit missionaries, these Jesuit priests who came to India, they stole India's knowledge, they transmitted it back to Europe. Not back to Europe, they took it to Europe. And over there, these so-called scientists discovered it and now they are given the credit for discovering calculus. It is very strange that something as difficult as, as and as complex as differential and integral calculus was discovered independently by two people in Europe in the same year. I mean, it can never happen. That is nonsense. So it is and India. Without the history of, the of, the history of calculus. Absolutely. Nonsense, right? Yeah. So I so, hope that answers your question. Yes, I have one final question. So uh, did uh, uh, Britishers and uh, Sikh Empire of 19th century uh, of Maharaja Ranjit Singh and all, uh, did they uh, anytime had a military conflict? And if yes, then uh, who was the uh, who was the winner? At least first Anglo Sikh war. Yeah. Uh, I think the first Anglo Sikh war was a Sikh uh, military victory. If I am not mistaken, I have not studied in very great detail. There were two Anglo Sikh wars. Uh, mm. The first one, I think, was either a Sikh victory or a stalemate kind of situation. And the second one war was the second Anglo Sikh war was in eighteen forty five or forty nine or thereabouts. I don't remember dates. Yes. I only remember the century. But the second one was a victory for the British. Okay. So after Maharaja Ranjit Singh died, I think in the 1830s, I think, that's when the entire Sikh Empire very quickly uh, collapsed because there was no ruler who was of the caliber of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. So eventually, that's why the Sikh Empire uh, lost to the British. Thank you, right? sir. Thank you for your questions. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, who shall we take next? Let me take um, let me take Karthik. Hi, Karthik. Yes, Pranam, sir. Yes, sir, Pranam, Pranam, nice to meet you. That, that I am live with you. Well, here you are. You're live with me. Sir, What's your question, sir? Sir, uh, I am unable to hear you, Karthik. I'm very sorry. I think your internet connection isn't very good. Sir, am I now audible? Yes, yes. Please go ahead. Ask your question. Sir, just a second. Sir, I was asking, have you uh, researched about that uh, Kalpa Bigram, uh, you idol? Which is uh, yet, told about that it is 26... 26,000 uh, year old. 
I have heard about it, but I have I... not yet had the time to deep uh, to dig deeply into the, this matter. So unfortunately, I I am still not properly aware of it. And sir, according to you, which was the greatest uh, Indian Empire till now? I think the greatest Indian empires are the ones before are the ones that are not written about. For instance, you had the Karkota Empire, the Karkota Dynasty, Lalitaditya Muktapida, which nobody writes about. You had the uh, there are many many dynasties and empires. You know, even before the Mauryan Empire, the Mauryan Empire was certainly one of the largest and most powerful empires that we know of. It in, it included most of present day India plus Pakistan plus Afghanistan etc. So the Mauryan Empire was very great, but I think even before the Mauryan Empire, there must have been. I mean, who, which was the empire or the kingdom or the or whoever it was that built the entire Saptasindhu region, the so-called Harappan era of our civilization? It was so large; it was bigger than Mesopotamia and Egypt combined, and it was so advanced. I mean, the if you look at the town planning, the city planning, it is superior to modern Indian cities. The drainage systems were better than modern Indian cities. So whoever did that must have been incredibly sophisticated and advanced. And we don't even know as of today which empire, which dynasty, which ruler or rulers it was. So I think we don't know much about Indian history. We have lost a lot of information. But from the ones that we know of, I think Kanishka was one of one of the greatest. The the Kushan Empire, also the the Mauryan Empire. So I would give these two names to answer your question. Right? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Once again, okay, I'm unable to hear uh, Karthik, unfortunately. Yeah, sorry, sorry, it's it's gone. Okay, let's take some other questions. Let's take some other questions. Somyadeep, Somyadeep, hi. Hello, sir. Can you can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, yes. How are you doing? So I'm great, sir. I I have been listening to you from from the time you uh, released your uh, Mongolian Genghis uh, Khan Genghis Khan video. So nice of you. Thank you so much. So sir, nice my to meet question you. was, thank you, sir. So my question is, what is an admixture? And what does uh, David Tag mean when he says uh, ancient skeletons of Indians had uh, did not have uh, steppe admixture, and uh, modern day North Indians have ste uh, steppe admixture? An admixture is a combination of two different kinds of lineages, genetic lineages. So, for instance, if a person has uh, European ancestry as well as African ancestry, then you will find an, an admixture of different genetic lineages in the genetics of that individual. So that's what an admi admixture is. Now people, I mean, these geneticists, they say that Indians, that uh, that the Harappans did not have step ancestry, but modern Indians do have it. I mean, how many Harappan genomes have we analyzed? We have thus far been able to successfully analyze the DNA of only one individual from the Harappan era. They have been able to extract the DNA from only one skeleton. So on the basis of one skeleton, how can you claim to have understood the entire genetics of the Harappan era? That is ridiculous. And secondly, when they claim that the modern Indians have steppe ancestry, they are referring to the Yamnaya ancestry, the Yamnaya invaders of Europe. Now, we know that the Yamnaya 
had a certain patrilineal genetic lineage called R1B. R1B is the descendant lineage of the Indian origin R1 and R lineages, which tells you that the, even the Yamnaya, the so-called steppe people, were descendants of Indians. They originated in India. And now, if you if you if you give them the title of step ancestry, that it kind of misleads people because even this step ancestry has Indian ancestry, but they will not mention that. So that is the kind of uh, misinformation game that is being played. But if you look at the facial reconstructions of the Yamnaya people, they look like Indians. We know they had dark hair, they had light brown skin, they had brown eyes. They looked exactly like Indians, you know. So even the step ancestry is actually ancient Indian ancestry. So that I hope answers your question. Uh, so my second Does question it? was, uh, yes, sir. okay. So my second question is, uh, is is Brahmin a Varna or a Jati? Because if you look at uh, ancient kings like uh, Pushyamitra Shunga and uh, you take the Peshwas, they identify themselves as Brahmins, but their karma is Kshatriya. So you know what, uh, this is not a Jati, it is a Varna. Varna is something that comes from what activity or, or occupation you have in your life. So it doesn't matter where you are born, whatever your aptitude is. I mean, let's say you were born in a, a so-called Shudra family, but you are very strong, you're very active, you're great at fighting, so you can become a Kshatriya if you enroll in the army and uh, do well. Or even if you are born in a Kshatriya so-called family, but if you are a scholarly person and you read uh, and study things and you uh, are an intellectual, etc., then you should be classified as a Brahmin. So these are Varnas, these are not Jatis. Jatis are lineages. Jatis are... are, are ancestral lineages varnas are simply occupations so that's a different so those are two different things so like you said pushya bhutta sunga was 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 born in a certain varna but he was a kshatriya because he was a soldier and he became a king so that's how it went it's a it's a very ancient and very complex system and we have oversimplified it for the sake of political gains today that's what's happening huh? so i hope that answers your question sir yes sir yes sir Sir, my final question. Uh, sir, uh, today we see, uh, we, we just have, uh, got in, uh, saw in news that India might face uh, electricity shortage because uh, coal, coal storages are, coal uh, my, uh, deserves of, uh, low, less in India. So how could we have uh, avoided this uh, problem? I think we have sufficient coal reserves in the country. We have lots of mines and all. Uh, I personally haven't seen this news, but I'm, I'm sure you what you're saying is right. There may be some possibility. Well, what we have to ensure is that we have to ensure that there is sufficient supply of coal, either from our own mines or, for, or through the various imports that we can arrange. So I am sure the government must have foreseen this, and uh, I hope that they have the uh, adequate measures and contingency plans in place to ensure that there is no such problem. That's what I can say. Right? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for your questions. Thanks. Please, Bye. Uh, please do this more often. Please do certainly, this more certainly. often. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Who else do we have? We have lots of people waiting in the wings. Rahulji. Hi. Uh, hello, sir. Thank you Hi. very much for having me on the show, and also I'm My very pleasure. happy. I'm very happy to see you live, 
and I've been following you from past one month. I've actually watched a lot of videos of yours, and uh, I'm very thankful that uh, you're you're there for us to learn so many things. And I'm happy that these kids are actually coming up and asking all these questions with uh, to you, and also you're like giving us the great answers and which is like very logical. So I had two questions. I have jotted down just one second, sir. Yeah, uh, could you sure. please talk about the multiverse uh, and the research uh, around it? So the multiverse is not a theory; it's a hypothesis. So there are two, uh, at least two sources of the origin of this hypothesis. One is from the string theory landscape. So in string theory, there is a possibility of ten raised to five hundred or so different universes. So that is one of the uh reasons why people uh, why physicists consider this theory or this hypothesis of of there being a multiverse and the other is uh, quantum mechanics itself where the 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 many worlds hypothesis the everettian hypothesis in which every decision that you take every action that you take when you have a choice of doing this or that if you make one choice then the universe splits off into two but i'm i'm just giving you a very simplified version but let's say you flip a coin you get a head then in then the universe splits off into two branches and there is a parallel universe that's created in which you have got a tail and so on so that's from the multi multiple worlds hypothesis or or, or interpretation of quantum mechanics that is due to uh, everett so that is so that's what the multiverse is it's a, it's a hypothesis which says that there are multiple universes our our universe is just one of many universes out there the problem with this is that there is no way to either prove it or to falsify it because we are stuck on this planet we can look into the universe through various means through telescopes etc but we can only see a certain portion of the universe the visible universe the uni- the actual universe may be much much larger than that and we cannot by any means look beyond the confines of our universe is there any other uni- another universe out there how do we know because we have no way of testing it out and therefore this may be possible this may be a possibility one cannot discount it but it is something that is not falsifiable a scientific theory has to be falsifiable if it is not falsifiable then there's no point even talking about it you know so it's nice for science fiction movies and uh, these uh, superhero <laughs> movies and all that it's very nice but it is not something that is a field of active research is serious active research unless you talk about the multiple the everettian interpretation of quantum mechanics which is something that is taken a little bit more seriously okay so i just had one question on that because like uh, there's a concept called expanding universe right uh, because of the big bang and uh, the universe is continuously expanding so i just had one this this question i had it from my college days and nobody could answer i just just asking you like uh, i just want to know like uh, in case if the universe is actually expanding what is it expanding into because it needs to have some kind of a space right and if there is only one universe it cannot expand uh, i mean I, that that was my my question how can it expand right so this goes at the very to the very heart of the uh, standard model of physics the big bang theory the so called big bang theory so the big bang theory is a chronology of the universe it is a history of the universe 
what happened at the very beginning then what was the universe like in the very early era how did the universe evolve and so on and so forth how did structure formation happen galaxies formation how did uh, nuclear fusion start etc and so on so it is a chronology a history of the universe but it is not yet able to explain why certain things happened what caused the big bang what was there before the big bang was there something else before what is time there are so many questions that our best theory is still not able to answer so is there something that the universe is expanding into we have no way of answering what we know is that space time itself is expanding so when the universe began it was concentrated into a, into a very small point that's the best we know it was either a singularity which is a point of infinite density or it was something very close to a singularity and then something made the universe expand they it is hypothesized to be a certain field it's called the inflaton field and so on so that's a different thing but uh, something caused the universe to expand and it is not the universe expanding into something it is space time itself expanding so even as we speak right now space time is expanding all the time new space time is being created out of somewhere what is footing the bill or the energy bill of this we still don't know maybe it is something called dark energy which we know exists and so on so there are many things that we still don't know our best theory the standard model and the big bang theory still can't answer lots of questions so that is the best ans- answer i can give you sir yeah thank you very much sir i have one last question uh, there okay. there have been like iits and iims for many years so what exactly the research they are doing and how is it helping india that is the 100 crore rupee question isn't it what research are these people doing and how is it helping india well the iits unfortunately so here's the truth about the iits okay they will not like me for like me saying this if you go to let's say you go to a specific iit iit whatever i'm not taking any names you go to the iit you will find that there is wonderful infrastructure there you go to the auditorium the conference room beautiful place the best projectors the best equipment you go to the washroom it's a 1 million dollar washroom all the beautiful glass and beautiful tiles and all that but if you go to the lab you will find equipment that is 20 to 30 years old now when you have outdated obsolete equipment how are you supposed to do cutting edge research so the answer to your question is that the people who run the iits these administrators these bureaucrats who are not scientists they have the funds but they are investing the funds where those funds are not needed they are investing funds in in building beautiful auditoriums and and beautiful washrooms etc but they are not investing it in the latest equipment and so on and therefore the professors the staff the researchers the students they are not able to do any world class cutting edge research so it is just churning out substandard outdated research and that's what's happening there is no new invention coming out of the iits there is no new research coming out of the iits this is something that you find over and over and over again in the entire indian academic system not just in the iits even in the universities the best universities supposedly of the country it is something i have spoken about in the past it's very frustrating so that is the sad situation in the country right now the, the entire academic system is controlled by a non academic non research bureaucracy who are just bureaucrats and even i mean if you look at the way people are promoted it's all it's more to do with politics than their actual achievements or their actual research output 
So that is the sad state of academia today. But to answer your question in brief, there is no real research that's happening. Maybe one percent of the researchers are really good, world class. Maybe the theoreticians are able to do real research. Some of them, but the majority of these academicians and researchers are are themselves quite mediocre. So that's the situation we are in right now, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really bad, sir. But hopefully things get better in the future. I hope Thank so. Thank you very much, yeah. sir. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Right. Let me bring in Sanjeev. Hi, Sanjeev. Hello, sir. Uh, I am your audience from the Ranveer show. I really love your right. channel. I have nice a question. You. Yeah. Um, since you have preached a lot about the dharmic culture, its sustainability, uh, do you think we failed moving towards the West, propagating it towards the West? What do you think were the reasons which did not let us propagate towards the West? So, uh, the the fact is that there was a time about fifteen hundred years or so before before today, before the Christianization of Europe. At that time, the culture that was present that was prevalent in Europe was a manifestation of what we call Dharmic culture. So there was a cultural continuum across Eurasia from the westernmost parts of Europe, the British Islands, all the way eastwards to India. it was a single cultural continuum you had very interesting local regional manifestations of the same overarching culture which is called the indo-european culture i don't i don't know if it's a very accurate term but that's what they call it so the vedic pantheon of gods indra varun mitra etc the same gods are found in greece ancient greece in rome in the uh nordic regions the vikings they had the same gods the germanic uh, peoples also had the same gods they gave them different names but the gods were the same the slavic gods also were the same so you had the same culture everywhere it was spread across eurasia then you had the christianization of europe which wiped out violently the native culture of europe and then this was a very expansionist kind of culture the abrahamic religions are expansionist religions they are exclusivist supremacist and expansionist and that's how they were able to capture conquer large parts of the world and that's the situation we are in today so the dharmic culture is not a supremacist exclusivist and expansionist culture we don't believe in converting people to our religion we don't believe in using force you want to do it you do it if you don't want to do it your life your choice we don't care so that is the reason why our culture is today confined only to certain parts of india not even throughout the entirety of india that's your answer yes sir and uh, if we if we were to fix uh, the current uh, system of science and technology the learning as well as research what pointers could you suggest in the future <laughs> that could be done uh it will take a significant amount of reforms it's not going to happen overnight uh it will not not take one week one month one month one year one decade it's going to take at least a couple of decades it's a long process uh i have an entire uh, video i think uh 
I think it was episode 30 or 31 thereabouts in which I have given a very detailed uh, presentation of what the problems are and what can be done to some extent to start uh, reforming the education system. So I would request you to take a look at that video if you have the time. It's a, it's a one sure, hour sir. plus video in which I have given all the details, right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your questions. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Bye. Nice to meet you too. Swastik. Hi, Swastik. Can you hear Hello, me? Sir. Yes, sir. Hi, hi. Am okay, what's your question, sir? Yes, yes, I can oh, hear you. I'm from Himachal Pradesh. So nice. So starting the first question is um when we see all the Abrahamic religions, their communities are very much um concentric. They all are have the same beliefs, everything same. They are very much less philosophical, but they are very much political. So were these religions actually made philosophical and then with time made political or the main thing was political but philosophies were added with them? So the, if you look at the history of the Abrahamic religions, the, the very genesis, the very birth of it, it is about one prophet claiming that he has received the word of God and then everybody is supposed to follow it. And there is no yes or no, there is no right or wrong. You just have to blindly believe and follow whatever I say. So it's always been like that from the very beginning. There are three Abrahamic religions that, that we know of, I mean, that, that are in existence, and they all follow the very similar precepts and uh, beliefs. So it is a very political uh, structure. It is, it is organized in a military fashion. I'm not criticizing it. It's just an observation. So that's just how it is. So th there is no uh, room for questioning or dissenting, you have to believe and that's it. There is there is no option, there is no alternative. You have to just blindly believe whatever is written in their books and so on. In Hinduism, it's very different. You can question, you can even be an atheist. They will not throw you out of a building. You can be LGBTQ or whatever and no one cares. You live your life, I live my life. So there is no compulsion, there is no force, there is nothing. So it's a very different culture. So, so that's why you find this significant difference between Dharmic culture and the Abrahamic religions. Right. Um, second question. Um, yeah, sure. Um, like um, we are all mentally colonized. You, I, very much. Even we be, yeah. uh, become extreme right. Still, we are very colonized. Uh, even I was uh, looking for a course here. Uh, it was an introduction to machine learning. It was Mandarin, Spanish, Hindi was not there. Even though a lot of uh, us watch. So I want to ask that uh, Indic re Renaissance is one of the things to overcome it. Do we really need it? And if we read it, that what are the things, the sources we need to do it? So what you are saying is very true. I will you you will find books being printed in very small, obscure languages like Swahili or God knows what, but it will not be done in Hindi. If you if you buy a laptop, you will not find a keyboard in the Hindi or Indian languages. But if you go to Afghanistan, you will find a keyboard in Pashto. So it is something that uh, like we have not done enough to ensure that our culture is respected and it is it is uh, it is given the sufficient amount of, of 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 space that it it deserves right and that is all a consequence of uh, mental colonization like you clearly point out so, and and what it causes is that because of because of this situation indians lack self confidence indians lack self belief when indians go abroad they feel that everyone is superior to them 
when some foreigner comes to india they think that the indians think that this person is better than us because they speak english with a different accent and they have a white skin etc and so on so all of these things are causing indians to uh, lack self respect self belief and all that you know so this needs to be addressed and it has to happen through the government we can keep demanding it but unless the government that we have elected unless the government takes certain steps and actions nothing is going to happen so i hope that when the government decides the time is right hopefully soon they will start doing something about this and that would be good for the country can i ask another question okay one more go ahead <laughs> okay so it's going to be a little personal one like you are a physicist i'm first time talking to a scientist like this face to face um um whenever we do something creative there's like a box uh you think hard think hard you try to tap it i call it kind of genius box so what is your way to tap it and open it and get the creative idea because it's very hard to do it, it i don't i don't know i mean i think it's just something that uh, every every individual has a certain personality a certain kind of uh, character some people are naturally creative naturally curious etc you know what the truth is that every little child is brilliant everybody is born brilliant everybody is naturally curious everybody is every little child is curious about things and every little child is creative it is the education system that hammers that creativity uh, out of the child you know and over over the years we we stop uh, thinking creatively and we stop being curious because we are not allowed to ask questions and so on so i think in my case that did not happen i did not allow the education system to break me so i have been able to retain the curiosity and and the creativity etc i don't think i am an exceptionally brilliant person like some people claim and all i am just a regular person i just have found the right way of thinking uh so so that's what i can answer i think everybody can do it everybody can be creative if we just recondition reprogram our minds everybody can do it so that's my answer thank to you. you love your work sir thank you sir Thank you for thank thing. you so much thank you thank you bye bye okay let me take a couple more questions uh let us bring in smriti hi hi sir uh i would like to know more about hi 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 yeah I, go on i would like to know about ahilya bai holkar ahilya bai holkar yes so ahilya bai holkar was a prominent queen i think she belonged to a maratha family maratha dynasty and uh, see i i don't remember the exact dates and all but i mm-hmm. believe that her husband died when uh, she was quite young she had one child one son and uh, after once her husband died she uh felt hopeless and helpless and she expressed the desire to commit sati and join her husband in the afterlife but her father in law was able to persuade her not to do that and then she became the the queen of the of the of the kingdom the and she went on to become a very very prominent queen somebody who achieved a lot she rebuilt a lot of temples that the turks had destroyed including in varanasi and other places and she ensured that her people uh, 
had the right kind of justice and all there was a time when people if they, even if they became rich they used to try and hide their wealth so that the so that the rulers will not try and tax them too much but she made it uh, very clear that she was not going to unnecessarily tax people and you can actually be rich and it is good for the country it's good for the society that people become prosperous and born so uh, she did a great deal of good in her life and after she passed away she is even today remembered as as a saintly person so that's what i can tell you in very brief about the great maharani ahalya bai holkar uh, may i ask another question please go ahead yes um you mentioned this earlier that uh, calculus even though it was indian uh, others have taken credits for it even uh, the hindu numerals are called arabic numerals and there are so many examples for that uh, can government do something about it like can they form a committee and you know give proper credits like claim it absolutely absolutely the government has all the money all the resources india is one of the wealthiest countries in the world the indian government is one of the wealthiest governments in the world it has all the power it can constitute a committee it can it can uh, create a new institute of of research historical research the government can do whatever it wants it has the resources we have mm-hmm. sufficient numbers of historians in, in the country especially young researchers who can get together and 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 do things a priori without the burden of the colonial baggage that the older historians have so i think the government can do it tomorrow if they wish to and we can uh, uh, research all of the all of these uh, these chapters of our history and rediscover the correct chronology of the development of indian science of of indian mathematics from algebra to trigonometry to calculus to infinite series and all that i think it's something that can be done if enough resources are provided and the infrastructure is put in place so i think yes the government certainly can do it i have been saying that the government should do these things i hope that one of these days they will decide to do it but yeah you are right this should happen yeah is there any way we could do something like apart from putting it out on the internet i don't see anything else see individuals can do it i people like me we we talk about history uh, we could possibly write articles write books etc but what needs to happen is that a number of good talented people need to come together put their heads together combine forces because when multiple people get together the the effect is much larger and for that you need some sort of leadership to bring a number of different people together and you need the right kind of resources because if you want people to work on something you have to pay them for it right because people need to earn something you know so so that's why the right kind of leadership needs to be put in place we need leadership and we need funds if that is available we can do it right thank you so much sir i'm very grateful most welcome thank you so much thanks bye thanks bye okay whom shall i call now please hello sir hello hi sir, i'm i'm looking for like past 20 minutes uh, sir i'm your big fan i watch all your series uh, sir my nice uh, i have two questions yes sir yeah. sir i'm agar sharma and i'm from punjab okay so okay. One, one question i have uh, you have, you have mentioned many times that when you study history and you re- read geopolitics you start learning about patterns so my question is 
like what pattern do you see right now and what phase we are going through and what is relevant uh, to right now that has already occurred in the past the pattern that i am witnessing right now is that we seem to be back in a fa- in a certain pa- phase of history that is reminiscent of the 1930s so if you go back to the 1930s you will see that the world was realigning very quickly new uh, power centers had emerged germany was rearming itself the uh, western world no germany was part of the western world but the uk was a very pacifistic at the time they did not want to offend germany too much and hitler was you know re- rebuilding germany as a great military power the soviets were another force there so today what i see is that the chinese are showing the same kind of behavioral pattern today that nazi germany was showing in the 1930s so history i say is cyclical it occurs again and again in according to certain patterns and that's the kind of pattern i'm seeing right now okay thank you thank you so much sir and uh, one more question sir what do uh, what yeah. is the contribution of indians in geology over the in ancient geology. times and even to yes sir uh that is a question that has come out of left field i don't know uh geology is not a science that i have studied in any significant detail have indians contributed i not that i know of unfortunately not that i know of but i okay. i am sure that i don't have sufficient knowledge this is one field that i haven't studied so even the best of my knowledge yeah yeah you know so sorry for that i don't i cannot answer this question Okay. sufficiently okay. well thank you so much thank you so much sir nice to meet you sir nice to meet you thank you thank you bye thanks all right whom do we bring in let's bring in kartik hi kartik yes sir sir am i audible now did i take you earlier again are you back yes sir actual yes sir actually my uh, internet problem was there okay, sir, okay, am okay. I yeah please tell me. yes yes i can hear you please sir, ask a question सर जैसे कि आपने कहा था अभी इंडिया को बहुत प्रोग्रेस करनी है एंड वी हैव टू टेक आर क्रेडिट्स व्हिच वी वर डिप्राइव्ड ऑफ सो सर डू यू थिंक विद सेक्युलरिज्म कैन इंडिया गेट प्रोग्रेस इन द फ्यूचर इयर्स एंड व्हाट शुड बी द टाइप ऑफ गवर्नमेंट व्हिच व्हिच शुड बी वेरी गुड फॉर कंट्री लाइक इंडिया Okay, good question. I think secularism is not the right choice for India. Secularism is going to take India backwards, not forwards. That's question. Uh, that's answer number one. Uh, what is the best type of governance in India? I think we need to reintroduce the kind of governance system we had during the Mahajanapada era. We had a hybrid form of democracy in which you have would have a, a leader, a long-term leader, who would govern the country on behalf of the people. You would also have a democratically elected setup. and you would have a judiciary that would actually be subservient to the people who would not lord about, about over the people and so on so it was a a very interesting form of democracy democracy as as our prime minister has recently said is was born in india democracy emerged out of ancient india way before the greeks invented it so that is something we need to look at and maybe try and recreate that system because the current democratic system that we have today the so called democracy that we have it doesn't serve the people it doesn't really take the country forward there is too much infighting there is too much division 
and the entire energy of the country is wasted in this internal friction instead of all being aligned in the same direction so we need to definitely reform our system of governance administration and democracy so i think maybe we should consider the mahajanapada era more seriously and try to replicate that and see how that works right and sir uh, i am i am a student of uh, i am currently studying in class 11 and i had mm-hmm. uh, very much interest in history but i was not able to opt it because uh, the the history which was there in the textbooks which i had to study in class 11th and 12th uh, that not wo mujhe itni achhi nahi lagi jaise ki hame pura nahi bataya jata hai acche se matlab purane se relate karke aur jo hota hai wo asliyat mein nahi bataya jata hai to sir like uh, i love history and i love to know much more about history so uh, i had seen your video about the history books sir uh, i had read that al basham book and as you said there are many uh, wrong things written which need to be corrected uh, like that of aryan invasion theory sir what uh, what are the other books uh, which should i prefer and i have uh, gone through all your episodes it was really helpful thank you ah uh, listen i cannot tell you where to start there are hundreds of history books thousands of history books um so maybe you can start with the history of civilization by will durant maybe that is one possibility or maybe one choice if you can find that uh, series of books but uh you know i i have read so many books and things that i cannot think right now of uh, like two or three books that i can give you right now that you can start off with but uh, try and look at that video i think i have given a number of uh, history books uh, recommendations you can uh, use that as a starting point and uh, you should start with some overview of history maybe overview of world history there are many books like that or overview of indian history there will be lots of wrong things but that's how you start and eventually you'll start figuring out what is right what is wrong so you know it's you, it takes a lot of reading there's no one book or five books that you can read this if you want to understand world history and indian history properly it's going to take you a lot of time and a lot of reading so read as much as you can that's what i will suggest right okay sir thank you sir Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Bye. Okay, let's bring in Vasu. Hi, Vasu. Hello, sir. Hi, hi. Sir, I am no great. Sir, it's honor to meet you, sir. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. So, sir, my question is that I am a student of class eight. So, in our books like history, we have seen, sir, in history they says that Mughals were very great. but you says they were just at turkic invaders who just looted india so so sir why they are telling us this that they were very great and they were revolutionary like this so that is the agenda that these marxist historians have had for a very long time see uh, during the nehruvian era of india's post independence phase uh, we know that nehru was a mentally colonized gentleman he was a wonderful nice chacha or whatever we call him but he was mentally colonized he was an anglophile he loved the british very much he owed his entire political career to the british and he was also an enormous fan of the moguls of the turks who invaded and occupied india for a very long time you can read what he has written about them he was quite uh, he he portrayed them in a very good way etc so so because he he was in power that's why the historians wanted to please him and eventually what happened was that um, historians of the marxist persuasion were were 
uh, given the role of writing India's history textbooks. And today, if you look at the Indian academic system, there is a stranglehold of Marxist academics in the academic system. So the entire perspective they're putting forward is a colonial perspective. They they want to essentially eradicate Indian culture and Hinduism from India. And one of the ways of doing it is to make Indians feel that their culture is inferior because we have always lost everything, which is not true at all. But by portraying it that way in the official history textbooks, it puts a certain kind of mental conditioning into the head of every child. So there are political agendas and other agendas at work over here, which is why they have been glorifying India's invaders, occupiers and oppressors. Uh, thank you, sir. Sir, my next question is, sir, sir, since when and why did the Sati system start in India? Yeah, that is a topic I will take up separately. Uh, it is it is portrayed in such a way that India has been a horrible, misogynistic country in which women were burned alive after their husbands died. I just gave the example of Maharani Ahalya by Holkar, yes. who was persuaded by her father-in-law not to do that. And she went on to become a great queen, one of the greatest queens of the past 1000 years. And there are... I mean, there are so many data points I can give you that prove that there is no such pattern. I mean, you had the Bengal famine, you had you had famine after famine that was engineered artificially by the British during the British occupation of India, in which so many people died, including men. Did their wives all commit sati? Nobody did, right? So there are so many examples that completely prove this wrong, but it is something that our history textbooks and historians keep on harping on. But it's not true. Right? Uh, so that's thank you, sir. sir. My last question is, sir, from where did the swastik symbol originated and why did Hitler used it in his flag? Yeah, I'm going to make a separate video about that. It's a very, very detailed analysis that I have to do to answer your question. So I cannot answer it in, in brief, but I will make a video about it in the future. Right? Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, sir. Bye. Okay, I have taken it very far. I will take one more viewer, one more person. I apologize in advance to everybody else who has been waiting. I really apologize. It's impossible for me to bring everybody in. I will bring in one person. Whom shall I bring in? One person, one person. I'll bring in Sankalp. Hi, Sankalp. All right. Uh, Hare Krishna, sir. Uh, Hare Krishna. I, uh, uh, I have this uh, uh, doubt regarding see. Uh, you, uh, we have been uh, talking about uh, China's economic prowess and also their e economic boom. So, are there any chances that they are also uh, falsifying their figures or just over-exaggerating? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a very much a possibility. So, right now, China's economy is slowing down. That is the data that we already have. It was growing at the rate of 10 plus percent per year for a very long time. Now the official figures, the official Chinese Communist Party figures, uh, the data, the statistics is, it says that the Chinese economy is growing at 5 to 6% per year. And yet if you examine the signs and symptoms coming out of China, the signs of recession, the Evergrande crisis and so on and so forth, the actual figure seems to be like 1 or 2% of growth. So I am... I, it's not only me who is saying that. Lots of economists have remarked about this. You will find people writing about this right now, today. Economists writing about it and, and China observers writing about it. That China's economy seems to be growing only at 1 or 2% per year. They are falsifying the figures. And China seems to be headed towards a recession and a crisis. 
and that is actually bad news for the world because it may uh, lead the chinese communist party to take certain very stupid and rash actions that could plunge the world into war so yeah you are right it is certainly possible that the chinese communist party is falsifying the economic data all right uh, so last question for today yeah um, so uh, one of the viewers also uh, said this that uh, maybe we failed to propagate our uh, the concept of hinduism so do you think that uh, is con uh, you must be familiar with it are uh, on on that part or they are just brainwashing the western westerners or just spreading so, the awareness of uh, hinduism so you know what i haven't studied iskon in great detail i am i am aware of the fact that they have branches in many parts of the world in the north america in europe as well russia as well i haven't studied their teachings their writings and uh, their philosophy so i can't really answer whether they i mean what what kind of hinduism do they represent what kind of dharma do they represent are they portraying it correctly i i can't answer it because i haven't studied it i haven't been part of their whatever it is that they they're doing but as long as they are propagating dharma faithfully i think it's a very good thing because it will give more exposure to the world to indian teachings as long as it is done faithfully and accurately so that's what i can tell you but i haven't personally seen it or examined it in in sufficient detail to to give you a a judgment a value judgment of what what they do you know thank you very much sir thank you so much nice to meet you thanks bye bye okay my friends i apologize to everybody who is waiting in the wings i am so sorry it i am i have run out of time but we will do this again uh so so yeah i'm going to have to stop it here those of you who are waiting i'm very sorry but i will try and take you up next time so this was great fun this was more fun than i expected talking to all of you live and i think i will do it again so until next time thank you so much it was a wonderful episode 50 and this is going to continue we're going to keep on doing these live q and a sessions as long as it is possible thank you so much for watching and i will see you in the next episode thank you so much and bye